0: I work for myself from home in my sweatpants every day. (laughs) doesn't sound as good, but also I don't give a shit. (laughs) Hi,
1: and welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark DeRoost. And each week I share with you an inspiring story or message from unconventional leaders, dreamers and doers who found a way to live their purpose. Now, you've probably heard that you know, people telling you that growing is, is part of being human, that we should all be striving for growth. I think, you know, Tony Robbins is famously quoted for saying, like, you know, if you don't grow, we die. that That's pretty much my Tony Robbins impression there. Um, but you know, what's the point of striving for growth? You know, just for the sake of it, right? I mean, as you'll find in today's episode, actually, um, that we'll get into a second. It turns out that, you know, growing at all costs could actually cost you the very first thing that you were chasing in the first place. I Happiness. And 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 I think it's really great timing to release this episode, actually, with uh, Christmas coming and New Year's Eve coming. And, and I'm going to get that in a second. And actually, before I do that, I just wanted to give a shout out to the unconventionalists of the week who left a rating and review over on iTunes. And Shannon Eastman wrote, love your integrity, your vulnerability, your experience, your perspective, and that you make this as practical as informative to give a five star rating so thank you so much shannon so appreciate it and if you'd like to be featured as the fan of the week uh, in next week's episodes or the episodes to come simply go over on itunes or on your phone or your laptop or your computer whatever you do these days and look up the unconventionalist podcast and just follow the simple steps to leave a rating and review it, it actually makes a difference i'll tell you why it actually enables itunes to figure out that this show is worthy to share with more people and it, and it also increases the odds of of guests seeing this so I really appreciate it. It, it, I know it takes a couple of minutes. If you want to support the show, that's the best way uh, that you can do it. So thanks uh, for helping out. Um, There's a quote, actually, that I wanted to share with you uh, today uh, that really has been speaking with me. And I I shared it, I think, previously with some guests, but I don't think I've shared it on, on the episode yet. And that is to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. And it's from E. E. Cummings. And, and I, it really resonates with me because I think this is what The Unconventionalist has always been about. It's been about celebrating people who found a way to be themselves and, and let the world experience them as themselves and have an impact as themselves and actually not making it about them, but something bigger. Whether that's a company they built, a movement they initiated, um, you know, a book they wrote, what does matter? They just found a way to being themselves and and, and I think today's guest is really epitome actually of this in in in, 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 a, in a in his own unique kind of way. Um, but it, it's it's been really making me think ever since we spoke because this is a theme that's been coming up and over again, especially as the New Year's approaching and we're all thinking about doing our New Year's Eve, you know resolutions and thinking about our goals for 2019. I mean, can you imagine people? When 2019 is the last Uh, year of the 2010s we're going to go into the 2020s by next year it's pretty mad i don't know about you it it feels pretty crazy but it's i think there's this you know misconception that we can so easily find ourselves chasing girls just because we don't even know if those are actually things we want maybe it's something that we make up we want because we've seen it on instagram or we've seen it you know on social media we've heard our friends brag about it you know i've got friends who have been very successful and i've been building these huge companies you know hiring a bunch of people it's really impressive and i think it's very easy for me to go oh shit of course that's what i want i want a huge company and but is it you know like how many times do we have to stop and actually ask ourselves is this what i really want or is this what something that i make up i want because of society because of my parents because of my friends because of my partner you know and, and and i think that's something that um we dive into today you know because today's guest is is kind of who i've been describing as <laughs> you know the wizard of ours uh, behind massive influences online and entrepreneurs and he helps them succeed and and uh, you know through the operations and processes and systems and 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 everything else and is and in case you don't know by now from the title it's Paul Jarvis and you know I'm actually going to read Paul's bio today for a couple of reasons because I think it's actually is, it's really well written and two because I'm feeling a bit lazy it's Saturday I've been pushing back editing this episode for whatever reason and I thought I've got to get this out you know I'm getting in the way of sharing this with so many more people who need to hear it. So I need to go over my shit. So here it goes. As a corporate tech designer and internet consultant, Paul Jarvis spent years working with professional athletes like Warren Sapp, Steve Nash, and Shaquille O'Neal with their online presence and with large companies like Yahoo, Microsoft, Mercedes-Benz, and Morning Music. He then migrated to working with online entrepreneurs like Mary Folio, Daniel Laporte, and Chris Carr to help build their brands. Since becoming a company of one, he spends his time writing, podcasting, and creating online courses for more than 13,500 students, and lives with his wife on an island off the coast of Vancouver in Canada. Um, and, and it's, you know, I say that, and it kind of like, you know, it's very structured, and but you're going to see, in today it's really cool, actually. We kind of got into, like, different areas of Paul's life and things he doesn't really share about. We also got into, like, how did he end up working with some of the big names online, and um, and, and he just wrote a new book company of one and i believe it's going to come out now it'll be coming out in a few days and and every book that you buy now will go towards the numbers of this launch date so it really makes a difference actually to pre-order books i didn't used to do it i used to wait until books were out and that but since i've been hanging out with authors and since i I want to write a book in the coming year you know it's it, it made me realize that actually it, it matters and it helps people. So if you if you fancy what you hear today and, and you, and you want to sort of better understand why bigger doesn't obviously mean better, then definitely go and check it out. I think I think it, you'll enjoy it for sure. Now, one of the things that we kind of dive into today, we talk about, you know, why does it always feel like sleazy and icky sometimes to sell? Why so many people make up that, that it has to feel weird? Um, but as, as you'll hear from Paul today, you know, he, he doesn't make anything unless someone asks him to. And there's so many, so many gifts. Um that I want to share with you today that I'm very excited about. But I just want to say this, like if you enjoy today's episode and you want to support the show, one of the best things you can do, apart from leaving a rating and review, is to share this with a friend who you think could benefit from listening to a powerful conversation. And, and all you've got to do is just is just share this episode with them or tag them in my latest post, you know, on social media or forward them the email that I sent throughout my, my private mailing list. And and if you're not on the list, then don't panic. You can simply go to marketerys.com forward slash newsletter and just join. And, uh, and, I'll, and I'll be making sure you, you get these nuggets directly in your inbox with many more kind of gifts and tips. But in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one and only Paul Jarvis. All right, Paul, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much for having me, Mark.
1: <laughs> Thank you for your patience. We were supposed to speak like a few weeks back, and I totally bottled it. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. It's like, I've been, my mind is completely scrambled, Uh, being a father of one, right? Not a business of one, right? But father (laughs) of one. And you were very, very uh, considerate and patient. And so thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Um, No worries. Thank you for coming back.
0: Yeah, no, my pleasure. Yeah, Yeah, sometimes life is more important than work. And I completely understand that.
1: Yeah, 100%. But I'm excited to have you on the show, man, uh, for a few reasons. One of them, well, obviously a few, but one of them is um, years back, I don't even know how I came across you. I don't know if it was through AppSumo, I don't know how I came across you, but um, you had like all these online programs for freelancers and, and entrepreneurs and trying to help them have more free time and, you know, systemize their processes to have clients and blah, blah, blah. And then you popped up in my box and you're like, hey, I've got this book that I've coming out. Um, would love to, to come to the show and talk about it. It's called Company of One. And here we are today. So looking forward to hearing more about the book. Here we are, indeed.
0: Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to chat. When I was doing my research, I was like, "That looks like a good show," and I was like, "Hey, wait! I know that name."
1: <laughs> cool, man. So, like, like, the, one of the things that we always love to talk about on the show before we dive into the kind of uh, the burning material um, is a bit of a background story. I think people love to hear, even though you have probably told the story a thousand times, right? I'm just curious about what, like, what are some of the aspects of the story that you don't share that often, or that you think aren't being asked about enough um, about how you ended up doing what you do today.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, I, th- I think hindsight is funny. I think we kind of make up that we were doing things on purpose. At least we tell the story in our mind. Like, oh, this is yeah. how- like I ended up in this place because this was kind of the plan. I've never had a plan. <laughs> I'm the worst. Like I, so one, I don't even like goals and two, I'm awful at long-term planning. And it's funny because like I'm such a systems and processes kind of guy, but like I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like I, there was no plan for that. I never wanted to be a writer either, which pisses a lot of writers. Off. <laughs> <I never laughs> so all of these things just kind of, I, I wouldn't really say that they just kind of happened because obviously that would, that would discount the work that I've done. Yeah. But I think it's just been like, a combination of like right place, right time, luck, and just kind of the fact that I've never really had a plan. I have been able to just kind of like go with things as they come up. Like I quit my job 20 years ago and I was going to go look for another one. I was going to go to the library to look up how to write a resume because the internet only had, I think six pages on, maybe it was five pages on it back then in the mid nineties. And I started to get calls from clients from my previous job and they were like, hey, just let us know where you're going to go work next and we'll bring our work to you. And I was like, "Cool. maybe I should just, do, I should just start my own company. Like, <laughs> I, never, I never thought about this. I never <laughs> wanted to do this, but maybe I'll just do that. And I went to the library to look up how to start a business in Canada where I live and yeah. start a resume. And then the rest is it. it. I, never yeah. stopped for, <laughs> I haven't stopped yet working for myself.
1: Very cool, man. And I saw—I don't know if this is true or not—but I saw somewhere online. Um,
0: Definitely true, man.
1: <laughs> <time>. <laughs> no, there's no hashtag fake news when it comes down to Paul Jarvis. Um, cool. Yeah, it was—it was actually talking about like how you used to work with some big athlete names. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal popped up. Um, had some big clients like Microsoft and Mercedes Benz and that kind of stuff. Is—is um, is well, you were working with them like the branding, the kind of the online presence. Well, what kind of work were you doing with them?
0: Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Like I gave my publisher a list of all of the clients that I've worked with, and they zeroed in on Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> I know I that they did because every time I get interviewed, when people are like saying my bio or reading my bio, they kind of laugh when they get to Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> because it's, it's Shaq. It's <laughs> Shaq attack. <laughs> yeah. So actually, in the beginning, the clients that were calling me up were the agents of pro athletes because mm-hmm. I was working mostly with. Which is funny because like I'm such a nerd and like I'm not a jock or a sports. So like I actually didn't care when I was working with all of these like star Church. athletes. My sister's the athlete of the family, and she was like, Oh my god, I can't believe you're working with so and so and so and like oh. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is. So that yeah, that's kind of how I got my start was working with athletes. And they all this was again, this was 20 years ago, so they all wanted basically websites so they could sell things like yeah. sell t-shirts and stuff like that and i mean it was smart like it was good on them for kind of jumping on the the personal branding bandwagon and um hiring nerds like me <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so, so, what, so what did you do did you do like their online presence like did you go uh, their websites their graphic design what yeah, kind of stuff their, are
0: you- website, all of their websites um somebody else did all of the merch design but okay. i did all of the web design and then I handed it off to somebody to do the back end basically me and another firm built like an e-commerce platform way before Shopify or anything easy existed yeah that we could just plug in a skin so this is what the website looks like here's all the links to buy the same stuff that one guy's selling another guy's selling it just looks different and mm-hmm. has their name on it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that was that that was the business.
1: Yeah, cool, man. And then you also got to work with some brands, and you know, in the in exactly we said like the publisher's kind of bio, it also mentions that um, you got to work with some online entrepreneurs like Mary Forleo, Daniel Laporte, and Chris Carr, who are kind of in in the world of online business, kind of like big names. You know, like the people people know them, they follow them. Um, yeah. Did they approach you? Did you approach them?
0: Yeah, they approached me because that was kind of the audience. So I kind of jumped around. Like I worked with pro athletes for a while, and that wasn't the greatest fit for me. Yeah. um and then i started to work with um uh, like fortune 100 companies which wasn't really a good fit because they're impossible to deal with
1: yeah
0: yet one like this is the way the button looks this is the blue do you approve this or not (laughs) let us have 18 meetings over the span of 67 weeks to decide whether this button should be moved one pixel over or one pixel back yeah that was bit and then I started to work with startups uh, mostly in Silicon Valley and that wasn't a good fit because they just needed things to qu- like everything was oh we need this yesterday and I'm like I don't like to work under those conditions like that doesn't feel right so right. then I started to zero in on like I like what these people are doing on the internet where they're kind of building a brand around their name mm. and they're kind of building a business that's them and that kind of reflects their personality and kind of their ethos for for, for showing up in the world mm. and I did a bunch of websites for for ones that you've never heard of because n- nobody had because it didn't end up their business didn't end up taking off but in doing that I got the attention of a few of them Danielle I actually worked with probably for about 13 years I probably oh, did wow. about 14-15 projects with her okay like, cool together I'll, like we did a lot of work I was basically her creative director on contract for over a decade and then wow. I did it a- because she knows Chris Carr and Marie Forleo, I ended up doing a bunch of projects for them as well. But it was, yeah, I did a ton of work for Danya, and she like these women are also ridiculously smart business people. Like I learned so much about online business from them. Yeah, because they were doing it, they were doing it really, really well, and I kind of was in the background helping them with um, the web stuff. And I was just a sponge. I was just like, this is how you. What, what 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 are some of the kind of nuggets that you
1: learned then working with them?
0: Mailing lists kind of important, kind of useful. <laughs> <laughs> and now my entire business revolves around my mailing list.
1: Right. So let's, let's talk about this for a second. Cause this is, this is something that I find fascinating. When I, when I run, run workshops or give talks and stuff, people still ask me like, Oh, should I bother about doing a mailing list or not?
0: You know, this the question comes up. It died. <laughs> so, say it again. I said email <laughs> marketing died. It, it yeah. died every year for the past like 10 years. Nobody, Nobody tells me when that happens and I just keep doing it and it keeps working. But Yeah, I know, right? But like, for the,
1: the way that I kind of see is that, you know, it's like it's uh, social media and all that stuff is rented property. You know, you mm-hmm. rented that. If they change the algorithm, if they suddenly shut down tomorrow, you're screwed. Whereas when you own the relationship through an email, I mean, how many times have you changed your email over the last 10 years, right? Yeah, Probably plus not. you
0: can export it and move it to a different service okay, provider. Yeah.
1: yeah. Exactly and so and so, what have you learned about um some kind of like healthy nugget tips for people who are thinking about uh, starting their mailing list or people like me who've got a mailing list but maybe not using it appropriately like any any kind of tips you want to share?
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing I like about email is it scales without growth like it takes me just as long to write an article and send it to you as it does to write an article and send it to thirty thousand people or billion people if I had a mailing list of a billion people which I don't (laughs) so I like that aspect of it and it shows up in the same place like if I'm emailing you directly you Mm. get it in your inbox if I'm emailing my mailing list all those people get it in their inbox yeah so it's personal like it feels like it's a, a personal relationship and I think a lot of businesses kind of miss that miss that mark where it's like if I'm going to write an email to my mailing list, I want it to be personal. I want it yeah. to come from something that isn't no reply at my domain name, like that to me, I want to foster an actual conversation with yeah. the people who are paying attention to me. And I think that email can do that. Like I, I ask questions at the bottom of my email sometimes. That's something I learned from uh, Chris Brogan, his email, his mailing list. I don't know if he still does this, but his emails used to start with like, what are you drinking this morning? <laughs> and it's just it's a question that everybody can answer and it's really really smart to to do things like that and so just asking questions sharing personal stories and i think the other thing is that i've developed kind of a a regular cadence like i've been sending a weekly article once a week on sunday cuz it's called the sunday dispatches since november 2012 yeah, and so yeah know what to expect they know when to expect something and they kind of get used to me showing up in their inbox most of the time i have nothing to sell them nothing to get from them it's just here's an article i wrote i think you'd be interested in it i talk to my mailing list all the time so i know what things people are interested in and it just fosters a regular communication with the people who care about what i have to say which Anybody cares about what I have to say? I feel like that's a pretty cool thing that I, and I want to honor that um, relationship. Yeah, that's really the gist of it. Like, there's no like secret hacks that only the best email marketers <laughs> on the planet do. It's just I, I use it to foster um, regular communication. Yeah. with with the people that care. And yeah, I want,
1: and I, I, I was I was talking with um, a king of the ups, Riley McGee, who will be listening to this, no doubt. Um, and, uh, we're talking about this about like, you know, mailing and, and there's this, I think that in, 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 the, when I say our industry, I mean, online entrepreneurs and, and that kind of stuff, that some people can sometimes shy away from actually asking and, and actually, uh, asking for the sale, basically is what I'm trying to say. Right. So like people are very, very easy to kind of, Hey, Hey, give, let me give you some content. Let me give me some value, give you some value. But then when it comes down to actually, Hey, I've got this thing that I would love for you to, to buy or, or be involved with people get really uncomfortable. And we were talking about this with Riley the other day about um, the difference between marketing and sales. Yeah. And I'm really curious to hear about what your take is on like, I'm, I'm not going to say you've got a formula because that feels so scripted. But is, there, is there something about like where you feel, hey, you know what? Like, actually, I just spend a lot of my time giving value. And then once in a while, when I've got a product, I feel very comfortable asking. And I'm just, I'm just curious to kind of hear what, what your thoughts are around that.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. I think there is a difference between marketing and sales. I think if I had to sell something to somebody, I would bomb. Like if I would put in, say, a car dealership and asked to, like, "Hey, go sell this car to that nice couple over there," I would be like, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> but I do like I'm a I'm a writer, so a no. car is my jam, and so the the way that I basically sell, and I feel totally comfortable selling, like selling things is how i make a living selling things is how i can like sit in my home office and like have the the life that i have so i don't actually feel bad about selling and i think the reason i don't feel bad or uncomfortable about selling is because i make things i know the people who are paying attention want so i don't make something unless people are asking me for it like one of the books that i wrote um everything i know way yeah. before the the one that i'm supposed to be promoting right now <laughs> <laughs> basically talk to people on my mailing list for about a year to find out kind of what they were working on, what they were struggling with, what they wanted. And then at that point, when I, when I take that, I think I had like 30 or 40 calls with people on my list, kind of digging into mm. things specifically. And then when it comes to selling, it's it's not even a matter of selling. It's just a matter of like, here's the thing that I made that I've been talking to you about for yeah. a year or two. Uh-huh it's available now if you want it cool if you don't want it cool like when i think about like my best and that's kind of the way that it works is i kind of talk about the thing that i'm making for a long time and then when it's available i don't really have to pitch it i just have to say you know this thing that i've been talking about that you haven't been able to buy yeah you can right now yeah the best the the best email in air quotes that i've ever sent that resulted in the most amount of revenue that I've ever generated was an email that talked, it was for um, my course creative class. And it, so it was talking about freelancing and it was that um, the course is now open because I do open and close stuff. And instead of, I think I initially designed the email to have this like buy now button with like an arrow pointing to it. I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is dumb. Like, My audience is smarter than this. Like if they know that I've been talking about creative class for a while, I tell them it's available. I don't need a button. Like I don't need a flashing button with like arrows pointing to it. And I put a picture of my pet rats eating peas and corn or something out of a (laughs) dish. And I'm like, if you're interested in the course, click my pet rats and you'll be taken to the creative class website to buy the course. If you're a freelancer, if you want to know about freelancing, you should check this course out. Yeah. Click my pet rats to buy the course. <laughs> That's cool so 20, though. It's like 20 or $30,000. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, you don't need to do things in, in a way that feels you. Way. like yeah. you just need to like your, if your audience knows you, if they get to know you because you're sharing with them at times when you don't have things to sell them, then they're going to be comfortable. Then there's going to be a relationship. It's like all of these emails I got, Cyber Monday, Black Friday. Yeah. yeah. I got emails from people who haven't emailed me since last Black Friday. <laughs> and They're going to have to work harder to sell me something because they didn't email me for a year. Yeah. As somebody like me, I'm emailing people every week. Every week Most yeah, yeah. of the time, I have nothing to sell them. Yeah. So if they do have something. It's just a matter of like, I just have to mention things. I don't really have to sell them because... I've, I've had this constant communication with them where I've not asked them for anything in return. I just yeah. talked. And yeah. then when I've to them, I just talk to them again. <laughs> <It works.
1: laughs> but, but consistency is so hard, right? I mean, what I'm hearing from what you're saying is, you know, since 2012 I've been consistent on your newsletter every week and that I find personally the hardest by far to stick to a consistent timing of the week. As you said, life gets in the way, right? Like what, what's helped you to stay on track and to stay consistent
0: yeah, being ahead of my schedule at all times. I think it's really hard to be creative on a on a tight deadline. So mm. if I had to write my Sunday dispatches Saturday night, I wouldn't be able to write anything worth <laughs> Which sharing. is what I do. <laughs> I also, because I'm not a very good technical writer, I wouldn't have enough time to share it with my editor to go through and ah. fix up typos and grammar things. Yeah send an email to my mailing list with typos or grammar things i'm going to get 300 emails from people pointing it out and <laughs> I my, i'd rather have my inbox filled with people asking questions or, or sharing intelligent stories instead yeah. of just hey, you had a typo in something you cannot like i can't go back and edit my newsletter and send it again every yeah. time a typo so yeah so yeah That's- i mean i like to stay ahead of my schedule and for me I, I like to avoid stress where I can because running a business is stressful. So yeah. if I can write four to six weeks ahead of my schedule, I don't feel stressed out about writing.
1: Okay. So I
0: can basically write with the space to to write and then I have enough time to maybe go through it a bunch of times, share it with my editor. He can go through it a bunch of times, make it really good. And then if I'm ahead of my schedule, I don't feel this like looming deadline over my head <laughs> at all times. Like I need to write this. It needs to right
1: yeah. now. Oh, God. Yeah, I feel I feel, I feel, feel very guilty in that because it's... <laughs>
0: that button in MailChimp with the sweat and the finger is like yeah. in my mind. Yeah. Oh, shit. You know, it's like it's Saturday night.
1: <laughs> and did you, did you have to like... Because this is one of the questions I often get from people like, oh, but when should I email? You know, should I email Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursday? You know, what's the best day? Like, does it matter? Like, or is it just a question of pick a date and just stick with it? And then, you know, that will be any any kind of A-B testing over the week, any given time if you do this over three years, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean this comes back to the very first thing that I said that when we started recording is I just kind of I was like Sunday dispatches sounds like a cool name. <laughs> if it's called the Sunday dispatches, I have to send an email on Sunday. So I'm yes. gonna stick to a weekly thing. Yeah. I can't really send an email on a Monday or a Wednesday. It doesn't make sense with the name. So I just I felt like I wanted to write a weekly newsletter. I picked that as the cadence. I picked a random day, to be honest. I think Chris Brogan was emailing on Sundays, and I'm like, I like waking up and getting an email from Chris. It's like a nice yeah. personal email. That's kind of I wanted to write nice personal emails with stories as well. So I was like, whatever. Chris sends it on Sundays, I'll send it on Sundays yeah. Sunday Dispatch is done. No A/B testing. <laughs>
1: cool, man. We're 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 about to take a left turn towards uh, your book because it's obviously it's not the first book that you've written, as mentioned, but this feels like different for some reason. It feels. Extra special. I don't know if it's because it's from the outside, from, from kind of what I'm seeing from like even just the, the cover of it. Uh, I don't know if it's just in the UK, but it's published by Penguin here. Um, and it looks really cool. Like I'm going to say, it's like Company of One, why staying small is the next big thing for business. So, tell us a bit more about like this is your know, full promo tour here, Paul. <laughs> it's like, tell us a bit more about why you wrote this book and why should people go and read it? No, but like, generally, like, what, what, what still, if anything, excites you about this book? And the reason why I'm saying this is that when you write a book, it's such a long process. By the time you publish it, it can feel like, oh my God, I'm going to talk about this fucking book again. And then you go and like <laughs> full term. So, I know, I know, I just want to put that out there so that people generally understand that it's a hard slug. And, I'd love to hear from you like, you know, why why are you excited about this book?
0: Yeah, yeah, cuz I started this 2 years ago. Yeah. And I finished writing it last year as well. Like it comes out I finished yeah. writing writing it in 17, it comes out in early 19. Yeah. But so I mean that was something to consider like when I was writing it I'm like I need to write something I'm going to give a shit about. <laughs> <laughs> year or in 10 years like what if this if the book actually does something then this is something it's like when a band writes a writes their like one hit and like 15 years later they're still on stage playing fucking hotel california (laughs) (laughs) happy with the things that could potentially (laughs) yeah because it could be and that's the thing like and i i wasn't band. i was in a touring band for for many many years what was the name of the band uh mojave
1: Okay. Are there any and, videos on YouTube? Can people check them out if they if we oh, put them?
0: if you look hard enough, you'll find some pretty <laughs> embarrassing videos. It's like Me with like full beard. Like your beard is nothing compared to the beard that I
1: have. Oh man, I, I bet. And just for people who can't see Paul live, because this will be audio. It's you've got some incredible ink, at least over where I can see from your arms and your hands, and and uh, I could just imagine that the total package.
0: Yeah, I was a, a an indie rocker, but like. Yeah, it's it's interesting because when you create something and you share it with the world, it stops be it stops being yours. Like I feel like your ownership ceases at that mm-hmm. point, like the moment of release. Yeah. It, it's for whoever consumes it. So if somebody consumes a book or a song 15 years later, it's new to them. It yeah. this is all new to them, so they're really interested in it at that time, even if you made it so long ago. And so when I'm making things, especially less ephemeral things like Books like my articles. If I don't care about an article in four years, I'm just going to delete it off my website. Like honestly, somebody somebody asked me a question about an article yesterday on Twitter. He's like, "Oh, the link on this article from five years ago doesn't work." I'm like, "Thanks for letting me know. I just deleted the article because like I don't (laughs) like little things like that. I just don't give a shit about. Yeah, but things I, I definitely do. And like I was also very cognizant when writing the book that I wanted it to be. Information that could be relevant, like in the future, like evergreen. Like I don't want to. I didn't want to talk about like just one specific thing. Like even in technology, that could be totally different. So I think as well, it helps that it's a topic that I've been thinking about for twenty years. So I know that like if one year passes, I've been thinking about it for two decades. It's still. (laughs) What what
1: are the odds?
0: What are the odds that I change? (laughs) It's still something that I'm going to give a shit about. So
1: yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting, right? Because I mean, what what I love about the kind of the, the gist of the book at least is we're so obsessed in our culture of growth and scale. I mean, one of the first things you kind of hear these days when, when you're gonna give talks is like, oh, but I don't know if there's gonna scale or or what have you. And then I work with companies, right, corporates and organizations, and when they go through fast growth, the first thing that breaks are people, right? And it's kind of like growth at all cost, it has a cost. If that makes sense, and so tell us a bit more about like why is it that you believe that actually a company of one could be the solution to actually finding fulfillment and happiness in the work and the life you live?
0: Yeah, so I'll, I'll back up a bit and define it because I think the cover doesn't do the thesis justice. As it's a very catchy title, I still really love the title, yeah. but. I'm not advocating to have a one person business. I don't even have a one person business. I think it'd be very difficult to run a one person yeah. business. You need to be good at everything. And I'm not smart enough to be good at everything. But I think the, the point of the book is just to simply question growth because growth sometimes makes a lot of sense. It sometimes does not make a lot of sense. And it's up to us to consider that that's the case. And I think the reason why I think this it comes from some deeply personal reasons, but it also comes from like looking at all the business studies that I did for writing the book over the course of a couple years. Um, I'll even just cite two because I think it's really important because I think that sometimes what exists in um, like popular culture or in a niche or in like speeches given as keynote addresses at, at tech conferences doesn't always line up with the facts or the truth. And Mm -hmm. I think in all of the studies on business, rapid scale and rapid growth leads to the downfall of businesses pretty much every time. Mm So Startup Genome Project looked at 3,200 companies and found that 74% of them failed because they scaled up, not because of competition, not because of anything else, but because they grew too fast. Kaufman Institute looked at that ink 5,000 list, Inc. 1,000 list, can't remember what it is, but they looked at that list that's like, these are the best companies this year. Like these are the absolute best companies. They looked at all of those businesses five to eight years later and found that two thirds of them went out of business because they grew too fast and like (laughs) study after study after study. That makes so much sense though. Yeah. It was all these, these businesses decided that growth was the metric they wanted to work toward the only metric that mattered to them for uh, various reasons, for whether it was VC funding or just they got kind of caught up in the culture of growth. And it just doesn't work. Like it just doesn't, it, it, it doesn't track with what actually happens um, in terms of, but I think if we actually just think about like, does this growth make sense to me? Yes yeah. or no?
1: Yeah.
0: Then I think we can, we can have a much better conversation about creating a business that lasts and a business that's durable and a business that can survive recessions. Like, I mean, even my own business, I have a rinky dink business of like myself and a couple of freelancers. I've been able to survive a bunch of recessions because my costs are really low. My resources I need to keep my business running are so tiny that it's easy to keep my business running because I don't have like the salary of, a thousand people across like 15 offices and eight, <laughs> something like that. Like it's easy for me. And it, like my business provides enough. And I think that's the, mm. that's the count. Enough is the countermeasure to uncheck growth.
1: So how does it how, how Sorry Tim, that, that's, that's such a great, it's like, how can people measure what
0: is enough? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a deeply personal thing. I mm. think for your enough and my enough would be different. And it depends on so many factors. And I think it comes back to the fact and the point that even though it doesn't seem like it, success can look like anything for any person. Mm -hmm. And I think look at the media, we see success in business as this one type of person has this one specific type of life and has this specific amount in their bank account and all of this. And I think success isn't that. Like I think success... Like Elon Musk's version of success is not mine. He sleeps on a couch in his office. I don't. I wouldn't want that life. Like Mark Zuckerberg has to testify in front of Congress in a couple countries. Like I wouldn't want that. <laughs> <laughs> and so just like looking at studies, looking at like even the conversations that I had with people in the book, like success... Like um, uh, a guy I interviewed uh, named Tom Fishburne who runs a business called Marketune, his version of success. And he worked as a, a C-level at uh, a huge food company in the States. And like he went to Harvard, got an MBA. Like yeah. he had like a very, he had a definition of success that looked like sure. the way that he portrays it, but he wasn't happy. He was mm-hmm. working too much. He was making a decent amount of money, but then he was like the cartoons that I'm drawing, people really like people are sharing these cartoons and there are mostly cartoons about marketing. Cause that's what he was in. And <laughs> now, like if, if you look at his life now, so one, he has, he lives in Northern California. So it's sunny every day. I don't know. I don't live in Northern California, but it seems <laughs> like it's a place that's sunny every day. The weather's always a perfect temperature. And like he, he works in uh in an office that he's built in the back of his house. He draws all day his two young kids sit in the office and draw with dad after school. And like, that's his life. And also he makes more money now than he did before. And so his version of success is that he can spend time with his kids. His version of success is that he makes enough money to cover what his family needs. And I think if we think about success as like, not what, like keeping up with the Joneses look like, or not what like, some business magazines version of success looks like, but what is my version of success? Then we can see like, okay, well, what is enough for me? Like, what do I need? What is going to be fulfilling for my life specifically, just for me personally? Yeah, and I think that that's, it, that's kind of what I, what the point I'm trying to make in the book is that success can really look like anything and that we can define our own enough and we can make decisions based on enough that suit us and not what like our neighbors have or like a competition business has just what we need. Like what do we actually need in our business to, to make it fulfilling?
1: Yeah. And it's hard, you know, I mean, I'm I'm listening and I'm I'm so agreeing with you and I I, I just also know how hard it is. I mean, I know for a fact that I compare myself to other people. I compare myself to the business. I'm like, you know, I'm not where I should be. You know, I should be more successful. I should have a bigger impact, you know, blah, 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 fill up, fill up the gaps. And I know, so many of the people out there feel the same way. And, and especially when you come from a, a background where you had a job, like I was in employment for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so you have a very solid kind of identity when you work for a cool company, when you have a steady salary, and then all your friends around you are doing really well. And you're just going like, I don't know, what the hell am I doing? You know, it's hard. What would you, what would you want to say, if you could whisper in the ears of people who are on that journey of trying to start that little business of theirs and trying to put like, their work out into the world and do something that's meaningful to them, and they're second-guessing themselves because of, they don't feel as successful as they should be. They don't feel like they're as good as what their neighbors are doing. Like what, what would be something you'd want to whisper in their ears?
0: Yeah, I think, I think this, it's a really important conversation to have because I think we, we can all kind of see in life how that comparison is truly the thief of joy. But like if we look at our neighbors and see like, oh, their house is slightly bigger than ours or like the cars mm. in their driveway are slightly nicer than ours. And we can kind of see like, okay, well, that's, it's kind of silly, but like when we look at business and we see like income reports, for example. Yeah. From some like if people share income reports, they're typically making a ton of money. Otherwise, they don't share income <laughs> reports on the internet. That's kind of just yeah. how it works.
1: Isn't it Pat Finn yeah. that used to share it and then you stopped because he said that people just couldn't relate to his numbers anymore?
0: Yeah, I think when you're making like four or $500,000 a month, it's hard to be relatable <laughs> to other small businesses. Yeah. But I, it's definitely, like you're right. <clears throat> but I think we all we need to think about like how do we how do we want to spend our days? For one, and I talk about that a little more. And also, like, is what I want serving my ego as it relates to other people thinking about me? Or is it serving my ego in so much as it's something that I actually want? Like, do I want to have a big company because it sounds good if I go to a dinner party and say like, yeah, but I, sta- I, I run a business. I have a staff of a hundred people versus like myself. Like I work for myself from home in my sweatpants every day. <laughs> Doesn't sound as good, but also I don't give a shit. Like if I'm at a dinner party, <laughs> I'm at the wrong dinner party. Like I'm just I'm at the wrong place, and I should probably leave. So I think we need to figure out because it's funny because like when we start a business, we all need ego, because we think that we're, the reason we're starting a business is because we think we can do better than what exists in the market. Yeah. So we need that ego is the impetus to start. And that serves us well. And then it doesn't serve us well when we start to think like, okay, well, my ego says that I, it, I would seem better or I would seem like a more legitimate business person if I just had more. And I mean, I think like, I don't want to like be at a dinner party where I where I say like, Oh, I have a staff of all this because I also don't want to promote, like, I don't want to promote myself out of the job. I like, I feel like if I had a bit, like if I grew the business where I was working with pro athletes or entrepreneurs or whatever, and I was always booked solid, I was always busy. I always had enough work, but, and people were like, well, you should grow this into an agency. Like you could hire like five web designers and three programmers, a couple project managers. And I'm like, why? So when I don't like managing people, (laughs) I like doing the work. So if I mm. did that, if I grew my business, I would be managing the people doing the job that I wish I was doing, mm. which if I'm running, a, if it's my business and I get to make the decisions, why would I want to do that? So I think we need to think about like how we want to spend our days. Yeah. And like, it could be a big kind like, it could mean like some people are great managers and want to be managers. Awesome. I don't <laughs> know how that works, but for me, I, I, I don't. And I think that that kind of is the, is the offset yeah. for me. It's like, I know how I want to spend my days. I know how I like to spend my days. So I know what my business needs to look like in order for me to accomplish that. Yeah. That means saying no to this blind growth or that means saying no to like having a business as big as so-and-so or making as much as so-and-so. But I know that at the end of the day, I wouldn't like the life that that would give me. So why would I want to chase that?
1: Yeah. And for you, does that look like in terms of a number? Like, do you have like, without needing to share, but do you have a number that you haven't, that I know that I need to hit this number every year so that I have my, my needs met with some excess, so I don't have to worry about money. I can take care, because I think you're married, right? If I'm not mistaking. Um, yeah. you know, like, so you've got you know, all, your, all your needs met. Um, how did you come up with that number?
0: Yeah, I mean, and it comes back to what I talked about um, about content, is I know that I want to avoid stress, <laughs> where <whereabouts>. possible. <laughs> So, I know that if I make a certain amount, then I don't need to think about money or stress about money. So, I can take that off the table and just focus on my work. Yeah. So, for me, it's, I live a pretty lean life. Like, I definitely, uh, like, I live in the woods where it's cheaper than living in the city. Yeah. I don't have a lot of stuff. I don't really need a lot of stuff. Like, I know the things that make me happy, and it's not like outside of. Driving and driving fast cars. <laughs> Outside of that, because I know that's something that I really really like doing. Like all the things that I like in my life are things that don't really cost that much money. Like I love gardening. I love hiking. I like love- yeah things that don't have a ton of. um
1: <laughs> I love it. Apart from driving fast cars, I love
0: how it's such a. I would not fast cars. Yeah, I did not. I did not expect
1: that. That's interesting. When when did you get into like fast cars and getting into the thrill of it?
0: it's just something that i really it's just a hot like it's just a ridiculously <laughs> expensive hobby but <laughs> what car are we talking about here well i have a porsche but <laughs> i i also have a used, i also have a used chevy that i that i that most no of the way tr- I do but I, like it all, it comes back like i so i don't like i think a lot of people have nice cars because they want to like look good to others but like i live in the like nobody sees my fucking porsche yeah nobody like and i go for drives in the woods where nobody sees it like i'm not cruising down main street with like the, yeah. the window and the music i don't <laughs> it just seem but like i have the car that i have because i like to drive yeah like that's my one of my favorite things to do is driving yeah but outside like like i said outside of that i live a pretty minimal life because I don't, like, I find the less that I need, the less I'm stressed out about money, the yeah. less I have to work. Like, if my expenses are as low as possible, then I don't need to make as much. And so coming back to the the, the money question, <clears throat> yeah, I have a very specific amount that I, that is enough for me. Yeah. So I know that I'm covering all of my, and, like, I pay for my car, I pay for my cars in cash, so I don't have to worry about, like, monthly payments for vehicles. Yeah. I just have to worry about, like, food, mortgage, and stuff that comes up when you own a house, because stuff is always coming up when you sure, own a house. Sure. Like replacing the toilet right now. I'm waiting for the plumber after this call <laughs> to replace the toilet, because I'm not replacing a toilet, because I don't, <laughs> I don't want my house to flood. And so I know that I need to make a certain amount to cover my bases, to put money in a savings for the future, and to have a bit of a buffer, because if I have a lean month, then I don't want to have to worry about that. Yeah. And I know that if I make past that, I'm no happier. Yeah. I'm I'm no more fulfilled. In fact, if I make past that, it's probably gonna stress me out because in order to make past that, I would need to probably start to spend a lot more on my business. Like I would need to focus on things like paid advertising or paid user acquisition where, it's going to cost me more money to make more money. So my margins are actually going to shrink. So am I really making more money and I have more responsibility and I don't want responsibility because it stresses me out. So I know, and I think a lot of people have like, and I think it's important to have like, I need to make this much money or more to, to, to have a business that's going to be sustainable. But I think a lot of people don't consider like, I need to make at least this much, but I don't really need to make more than this much because don't have an upper bound on that it can just lead to this like unending growth in this more and more and more and then yeah. sometimes we just end up in a place that we're not happy or we're not fulfilled or we're just stressed out because it takes it takes so much more to make so much more yeah Whereas, you know, there's a sweet spot and there's even there's a study done i think it was um by pew that found that um there's a certain amount of money that people need to make and yeah. as they make more they're happier. Yeah, But then it stops. It's like yeah. a bell. Number. Like as you make more, you're happier. Was it
1: $88,000?
0: I think it was 74 or 78,000 US. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Was yeah. Like so it was, it was, yeah. It was around the 80,000 mark. Yeah. That was it.
0: Yeah. And then they found like, as you make more than that, you're actually more unhappy. Yeah. So I think it's important. And I mean, that number is such a ridiculous, <laughs> like, it doesn't apply. Like one of my, one of my buddies has four, like he has four kids so he needs to make more than that to sustain his family of 4 with yeah. his wife that's a yeah. lot of that's a lot of kids that's a lot of mouths yeah. to feed yeah and so but i think it's a, i think it's an important thought exercise to think about like okay well how much do i need and is it worth making more like i could make more if i work more hours but i wouldn't be happy in my life if i worked all the hours of the day because yeah. i also like to do things outside of work yeah so I know that if I work this many hours, I'll make this much money and that's enough for me. So if I make more, I don't need more. So why would I do that? I'm not going to kill myself working. I'm not going to kill myself hustling all, all day in, day out because I want to keep, like I've worked doing this for 20 years. Yeah. I want, to keep I want. Like I like my work. I want to keep working for another 20 years.
1: Yeah. And, and you're, you know, you're a weathered kind of seasoned entrepreneur in that way that you kind of, you know, managed to over the last 20 years you know, build business and kind of live from it. And, um, you've seen a lot of people come through your courses. You've seen a lot of people ask questions on on, on your website and you've worked. I love that you mentioned you worked with a bunch of people we never heard of because their business just didn't, didn't end up taking off. And actually out of all those years of experience of seeing what gets in the way of people actually succeeding in their business, what would be like some of the top three things you've noticed?
0: Yeah, I think the first one would be knowing when to quit. I think we're sold this bill of goods that like you need to persevere, you need to hustle, like you need to like do this at all costs in order to succeed, which I don't think is true. I think most of the successful entrepreneurs I know are serial quitters. They know that there comes a point in business where it may not be viable. Like we don't we don't have crystal balls and business is difficult and business requires a lot of guesswork. Yeah. That doesn't really sell courses. Like, If you're saying there is no blueprint, then you can't sell your course as a <laughs> blueprint. <laughs> it kind of works that way. But I think knowing when to quit is a huge one. Um, I think that's definitely number one. Um, <clears throat> I think having resilience is also really important. And by resilience, I mean accepting that we're not in control of nearly as many things as we think we are, mm-hmm. especially in business. We need to have a sense of purpose in order to persevere through hard times because pretty much every business has some hard times Mm -hmm. and we need to have the ability to adapt because things change all the time. Like I look at when business started for me in the nineties versus now, everything is different. Like every single thing (laughs) is different. So if I wasn't able to adapt, if I wasn't able to change, if I wasn't able to like learn and grow, there's no way I could be doing what I do now. So I think, yeah, it's just, and I think having goals is also kind of silly for most people. If those goals are, <clears throat> so I think that there's good and bad goals. I think that a bad goal is just like picking a number out of your ass and saying, I need to hit this to be a success. <laughs> I've been there and I've done that. In my 20s, I was like, I'm going to be a business success if I make a million dollars a year. I didn't need a million dollars a year. It's just like, that seems like a success to me. So I'm just yeah. going to say, I need to make a million dollars a year. I worked at that for, A month or two and then doing 16 hour days didn't really work out (laughs) very well just wasn't smart so but i think like having a goal of like i know i need to make like four thousand dollars or whatever to cover for my business to be profitable and to sustain my income that's a pretty good goal because you know you need this in order to survive yeah so i think a lot of goals are just bullshit Because a lot of goals are, oh, we need 10x growth this month. It's like, well, why do you need that? (laughs) What if what you have is good enough now? Like having those goals are dumb because it may not be something your business needs, but you may punish yourself for not achieving the goal when the goal didn't make sense in the first place. like, oh, I didn't hit 10x growth growth this month. It's like, oh, I'm a failure. Yeah. And
1: even even if you, um, I'm I'm catching a little throat rattle over here too. I think it's, uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the tension in the air. It's, uh, you know, it's, and even if you do reach that goal, most likely you won't feel as fulfilled and happy as you made up you'd feel once you got there. You know, even if you work your ass off to get to like a, a million dollars or whatever it is or 10K a month, you'd get there and you'd be like, oh. You know that, That's how I felt systematically when I, when I wrote my first book, when I gave my, my first TEDx talk, I made up all these things of how I would feel once I've done them. I'm sure it's cool. I love it. Like, it's great, but you know, you don't go like, I'm guessing with your Porsche, you're just happy driving it, but I don't know if maybe you had this dream of having a Porsche and then you got the keys yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, it's a car. I mean, cool. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, it wasn't even like I was saving up for it. It was just, I was in the market for a car. I knew what my budget was based on how much I had saved. I hate yeah. people money. So I didn't want to Yeah. Like, Finance it, and the finance rates weren't that good. Like, if I look at my mortgage, it, the interest is two point two nine percent, which is peanuts. So I don't mind having a mortgage. Yeah. The car was like six or seven percent interest, and like they try to car uh, car dealerships are just so dumb. <laughs> like they don't give you. And I had to argue with a bunch of car dealerships. Like, what is the total I owe you? Don't give me what I'm going to pay mo- per month because you're not breaking down what's interest and what's principal. Yeah.
1: yeah Yeah. tell
0: me what the total amount is i'll do the math and see that if the car costs this much and i'm paying this much in interest then the car's actually worth it like if the car's 50k and i'm paying 10k in interest the car's not 50k it's 60k yeah so i want to know what that is yeah that's it it was just like so hard to get the actual numbers i was so angry like like that's like the worst set like when the customer is angry trying to buy something Mm -hmm. from you luckily it wasn't that way with the with the dealership that i bought from but yeah like i didn't have in my mind like oh, i've had this dream like i have like pictures of porsches on the wall it was just like this is the vehicle that made the most sense for what i wanted it was what i could afford and so that's the car that i bought yeah. like i don't know if i would buy another porsche i might but like my other car is a, a used chevy that i bought like yeah. I could buy another ship. I'd probably buy an electric car next, but yeah, I, was,
1: I was talking to my partner about that. I was like, we really should go electric next.
0: <laughs> it may not even well, be a new one. It may be a used one.
1: Yeah. So this this might sound like a weird question, but do you have any dreams? Do you have do you have like something that you that wakes you up in the morning that you aspire to anything?
0: Not long term, no. I hate having like I said, I hate having long term things. Like I don't I, I think it leaves like not having long-term dreams or goals kind of leaves me open to what could happen. And I'm really big on just like working, like what gets me up in the morning is the work I have to do that day. Yeah. So I wake up, I see what's a manageable chunk of progress to make on the things I'm doing. And that's exciting to me. Like I like working in the present. And I feel like if I did have like the year before I started writing, <clears throat> I didn't want to be a writer hmm. the year before I had a nice car. I didn't want to have a nice car. Like it kind of, I feel like it just leaves me open to kind of work at what matters in the moment, as opposed to what matters in the future. Cause things could change. Like I could, I could spend five years saving up for like the house of my dreams or something. And then in five years I'm like, Oh, I actually want a tiny house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? But Why did I lost my ass for that for five years.
1: And and yet the hardest thing, you know what? And I'm loving this conversation, by the way, Paul. Thank you so much for sharing. It's 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 that it's society,
0: yeah. peers,
1: relationships. You know, everyone's pulling you in ten different directions as to what you should be craving for, right? Mm-hmm. Like like. It's like, oh my God, this advert is. I never thought I needed a six pack, but now I feel like I need to. I feel like I'm inadequate. I feel like I don't love myself. You know, of you course know I need to. You up
0: your abs, but yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, just like, oh, I've, I, you know, I was thinking about Black Friday. I had to catch myself, man, because I wrote a post about it on Instagram. And I, I, was, I'm having a, I had a rant about how we should change Black Friday to Give Back Friday, but that's a different conversation. And so, uh, you know, I'd, I'd get an email and I'd find myself, like, even Calm the app, right? So I use Calm the app. Uh, I didn't get paid to mention them in this in this podcast, but I, I use the app once in a while when I when I can be bothered to launch the app. And they had like this Black Friday promo, like one hundred and fifty dollars lifetime access. And I'm like, yeah, I mean that sounds obviously obviously great deal instead of three hundred dollars. And I clicked on it, and by the time I clicked, I was like, wait a minute, why am I doing this? Where's this coming from? Yeah. Scarcity mindset, right? So that's kind of fear based reaction. And then I thought, in three years time. Who knows if I'll be still using phones and apps? You know, it might be something else. Like there might be like I don't know. Anyway, doesn't matter. That's a little rant. But all yeah. that to say, you know what I love about what he's saying is that it seems to me that what you found is joy in the present. Yeah, and to actually be fulfilled with the now, be open to the what may be, instead of focusing constantly on a on a on a forward carrot that you're never going to reach or you're never reaching, and you're constantly feeling that you're never-ending chasing. You no.
0: Know? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think like I have an aversion to goals because the first half of my life, I was working towards goals that other people set for me. They were well-intentioned. Like this was when I was a kid. So like my parents or guidance counselors. Like it feels like I was just put on a track. And I feel like most people are put on a track. Like, so I did well in school. So I was supposed to go to university. So I went to university and then I was supposed to get a job. And then if I got a job, I was supposed to work at that job and save for retirement. And I was like, get
1: the gold watch, walk away.
0: Uh, I think my dad actually did get a gold watch. <laughs> 30 years at, at his job. And I think the gold watch probably sits in a drawer or he just don't, or he donated it or something like that. Cause yeah. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure some people need a gold watch. I don't like wearing watches, they feel really uncomfortable yeah. to me. I guess I, I returned the Apple Watch that I bought after three days of being annoyed by it. <laughs> but I think that, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I think that, um, yeah, we need to consider like, and that's really what the book is about is that Mm. we're kind of sold. Like this is what success looks like. This is the, this is how success looks. And I don't think that's true. Or this is what a business is supposed, a legitimate business is supposed to look like. It can look like anything. Yeah, And I think that when we start to live for ourselves or we start to live for um, the life that we actually want to live and, other people's perceptions be damned. Like I just think of like when I quit my, when I quit working for other people and started working for myself, this was before like freelancing was a thing. And people were like, why are you like when I dropped out of university, they're like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you being stupid? I'm like, I'm probably being stupid. Like I'll give you that. I, I'm probably being very stupid, but hindsight will show us whether this decision was right or wrong. Yeah. And quitting university was probably one of the best things I did. Quitting the job that I had at an agency was probably one of the best things that I did. But when I started to live for myself and I started to live for the kind of life that I actually wanted, good things started to happen. And even if good things didn't start to happen, I didn't feel as bad because I'm like, well, I'm working towards something that I want, not what somebody else wants. So- yeah things don't go right or if things are stressful or if things just blow up in my face then whatever like I was still it sucks yeah. but I was still chasing what I personally wanted that maybe isn't what anybody else in the entire world wants but it's still if it's what I want and I don't get it then I worked hard to try to get it I'll try some I'll try to be as resilient as possible yeah. like I talked about and I'll try a different way
1: yeah it's like there's nothing worse than failing at something you don't actually want in the first place
0: <laughs> exactly
1: Man, I'm looking at the time. And it's one of those conversations. Like, shit, man. I hope we had. I wish we had more time. And um, you know, if you ever come down to London, make sure to to to, to hit me up, and and I'll take you out for a, for a beer, a green juice, or a coffee, whatever you're whatever you're into. Um, but look, I've got a few few round of questions before we wrap up. But before I do that, I just wanted to you know generally say thank you for bringing a different energy and perspective to the conversation.
0: Cool. You know, there's
1: there's something about um, asking the question that actually what's the point of growth and what's the point of more and what's the point of constantly chasing something that is not here now. So I, I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for all the content that you've created over the years to help people, you know, freelancers, entrepreneurs, to kind of figure out how to get clients, have more freedom, make more income and just be more content. So on behalf of, of, of all of us out there, thank you.
0: Yeah, I appreciate
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah generally man. Um, what's one thing most people don't know about you
0: um well probably the porsche thing but we talked about that um (laughs) uh, i mean a lot of people don't know that i i love gardening um i'm a fire commissioner as well that's a new thing so i don't actually really know uh what's involved in that my wife is a firefighter okay Um, cool now i 'm basically her boss 's boss unintentionally, so I get to make some decisions around the the fire department as a commissioner. but I just think it 's important to like we live in a connected world where everybody can talk to everybody around the world, but I still think it 's important to focus a little bit on a difference that you can make locally with the people who basically live in a close proximity to you yeah and in a city it 's different, and i mean i 've lived in big cities before, but when you live out in the woods it like community becomes a bit more important because they're isolated and like you live with these people and there's nobody else. Yeah. So yeah, Yeah. those are probably a few things that most people don't know about
1: me. I like that. If there's, um, I don't know if you've ever been to London. I don't know if you've ever been to London. My family's from me.
0: I've been been there a bunch of times.
1: Cool, man. Okay. So in London, there's this place in Piccadilly circus, which is kind of like the Times square of London. If you can imagine that there's like this big digital board and I want you to imagine if, you could have a message that would be displayed on this board, right? You could put a couple of words, sentence, whatever you want to put, that everybody could read, right? On their way to work, on their way back from work, they'd look up and they'd see it. What would that message be?
0: Hmm, that's a good one. First of all, I'm like, <laughs> what's something snarky? That would just be funny to say. Um, it would probably be um, more isn't always better. Mm. Kind of lines up with the book, but it also kind of lines up with how I personally feel about life. Yeah. yeah,
1: Love that. Cool. Final question. What does being unconventional mean to you?
0: I think uh, it's, it's exactly what we talked about. I think being unconventional means that we get to make, we get to set our own rules and we get to live um, in working towards the, the life that, that we actually want. I think it's hard to do that because I think sometimes people are like, well, why are you trying to do that? Mm. Like it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, it's okay. It doesn't have to make sense to you because it's me. It's my life. So I think being unconventional means working towards what we actually want, personally Mm. want, which could be different for everyone.
1: Yeah. Paul, thank you so much. I'd even ask you if you kept on getting confused with Chase Jarvis uh, because, you know, that was (laughs) another big name in the industry. We didn't get on that.
0: We talked about that how we're probably because we're also ravishingly good looking that people assume that we're brothers. <laughs> we're not. We've <laughs> talked to each other a few times, but that's so mostly just joked about being so good looking and yeah,
1: um, and having a have- name similar. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for your wisdom, and looking forward to connect with you in person soon.
0: Yeah, it sounds good, Mark. Thank you.
1: There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. As always, all the links will be available over on the show notes over at marketers.com forward slash episode forward slash 109. And if you enjoyed uh, you know today's show and you want to show some support, then then please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. And if you're feeling extra special, then share it with a friend. It, it really means a lot. And, and I really appreciate it, actually, Paul's honesty and, uh, and I know, you know, we we're supposed to talk about the book, and we, and we did, but we also got to really dive into the person behind the book. That I think sometimes actually is just a better way of, of actually promoting a product or a service because if you get the person behind the product, why they do it, then then often I find myself more compelled to want to support and get on board. So I hope you'll go and check out his book. Uh, there's some bonuses available. If you buy the book, you know, it's uh, www.ofone.co. And uh, you can also join his newsletter. I'll put all that in the show notes, of course. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, We've got a couple of episodes left before the end of the year. I'll be taking a break. But in next week's episode, I sit down with James Rootledge, which I hope I'm pronouncing the right properly. But the founder of Sanctus, who's on a mission to put the first mental health gym on the high streets. And it's a really cool conversation. It's an incredible story behind the story. And I can't wait to share that with you. Today's music was brought to you by Bruno E., titled 1973 and Otis McDonald and Unicorn Heads. What a name, eh? What a name. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy your weekend. If you're listening to this over the weekend, enjoy your week, and I cannot wait to catch up with you next week. I love you, and let's get festive towards this merry, merry season.